Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Zach. And I'm Seth. And we're the Classic Gaming Brothers. That's right, we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. Merry Christmas, well, Merry Day After Christmas. Merry Day After Christmas. Merry Day After Christmas. Seth, did you have a good Christmas? I did have a good Christmas. Nice. Being that we are in the pod time continuum, I can't tell you everything I got, but I'm sure they're all great gifts. Uh, All the things I've got um for christmas i've loved and all the things i will get i'll also love for those who listen at home zach and i are brothers and we exchanged presents yesterday at my house and zachary loved all of the gifts that i got him yeah i can't believe i cried but i also could believe you cried when i cried that's right i always cry when you cry my tears are always of happiness while yours are tears of sadness what was weird though was when your dog started crying well he's always happy when you're sad too yeah you know that's fair anyway uh today is the day after christmas do you know what that means we're here to talk about games that we've been recently been playing that's right well recently i've been playing tanglewood uh, which is a game developed by Big Evil Corp, published by Mega Cat Studios, and released in 2016 on the Sega Genesis slash Mega Drive. The game is available as a cartridge through Mega Cat Studios, which is pretty neat, but I've been playing it on the Evercade, which also is in a cartridge form, but it's not a Sega cartridge. Uh, the Evercade, uh, I think I talked about it last Christmas, actually, because it was a Christmas gift I got last Christmas. It's a handheld console that uses cartridges and um, plays them via emulation, but is designed to be accurate to the consoles that the games are for. And the games are stored on like proper cartridges. So you pop the cartridge in, it'll play the game, which is pretty cool. The games all come on multi-carts. So uh, they're all collections. So you have like the Atari collection, you have the Interplay collection. There's a collection of games made by indie studios such as Pico and uh, Mega Cat. And also there's this cartridge, which I have, which is Tanglewood and Xenocrisis, both recent Sega Genesis games. So um, it's been great to play at least Tanglewood on it. That's what I've been playing most recently. I have yet to play Xenocrisis, but I probably will right after this episode's done. Tanglewood is set in a fictional world and stars a young like fox by the name of Nim, who is separated from their pack, and they are unable to get back to safety of their underground home. So you must survive the night terrors to get to morning, um, which I think is a interesting concept for a game. It kind of plays like other classic Sega games of that era. A little bit of um, you know, a lot of platforming, a lot of jumping around, a lot of uh, uh, bouncing on stuff. It's got a little bit of Sonic vibe, but I wouldn't call it a like Sonic game. It's not really like uh, Freedom Planet, for example, which is very much based on the Sonic formula. This is not so much the case, but um, it, it's been a it's been a great game to try out. I certainly enjoy um, the aesthetic of it. I really like the design of Nim. They're this kind of uh, cute little fox creature, and the art is also all very cute. So. That is Tanglewood. Um, You can actually pick it up on Steam if you um, don't have a Sega Genesis or want to try it out before you buy a physical cartridge. So it is available digitally to play. 
Uh, you can also get it on itch.io, um, which I also have a copy of it there. Seth, what about you? I have been playing a video game that is going to be in theme with today and today's episode. And that video game is George Foreman's KO Boxing by Beam Software, which was released in 1992. It was actually released a number of different years uh, since it was released on a number of different platforms. I was, however, playing the Sega Genesis version, which was released in 1992. And that's the one I was playing. George Foreman's KO Boxing is where you play as George Foreman on his second time going around for boxing because he's 43 years old and he is pursuing a quest to become the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world by uniting the title belts of three fictional boxing circuits. It's very similar gameplay as Power Punch 2 uh, where you are given the option to block attempted punches, evade in two different directions, and throw a different variety of punches and you can only win through either technical or decision knockouts and a knockout requires you to knock your opponent down four times in a three-round match and uh, a technical knockout is awarded if a botcher boxer is knocked down three times in a single round it is um not very good but uh, i played uh, a very short period of time where uh, i was defeated handedly i didn't know it was very difficult to control very difficult to understand what i was doing uh, and this is a boxing game so it should be simple but i uh, i thought i was winning but i i lost handedly my george foreman he he went back to retirement in my version of the game though that leads us into a celebration as it were so in a number of countries primarily the uk though it, it extends over through a number of countries as well the day after christmas is known as Boxing Day. Now, the origin of the name Boxing Day comes from an all manner of different stories, but my personal favorite origin is that back in the UK in the olden days, there were these large estates that had working staff. The staff would serve the family day in and day out in the large estate, including on Christmas. So in order to give the staff a break, they would allow the staff to go visit their family for the Christmas time on the day after Christmas. You work on Christmas, you get the day off afterwards. And they would be usually given presents by the estate family. They may be food to bring back to their family, to have a nice meal, some other odds and ends presents that you would be getting in the 1800s, 1920s, but they would be in boxes, hence Boxing Day. It would be the day the staff would get boxes. In some other countries, it's also just second Christmas, which is, I think, fun. <laughs> there is one Christmas, then two Christmas. However, as you, you, the listener, may know, Zach and I are not located in the United Kingdom. We are located in the good old U.S. of A. And we decided to honor Boxing Day the only way an American podcast knows how. And that's to talk about Punch-Out!, which is a boxing game. Now, Punch-Out! was first released in the arcades in Japan February 17th, 1984, with a release in the North American market just a few months later in March. Punch-Out! was a boxing game developed by Nintendo's R&D 3 department as their very first project. R&D 3 would eventually go on to be called Integrated Research and Development and primarily work on hardware. They are the same department that's responsible for the N64. They also made Punch-Out! the arcade cabinet. Now, we read an interview by Satoru Iwata with the key principals in Punch-Out! Genyo Takeda, who is the general manager of Integrated Research and Development, previously R&D 3, who was the lead developer of Punch-Out! 
Shigeru Miyamoto, the general manager of EAD, who is the artist of Punch-Out, Kensuke Tanabe, who was involved with software planning and development, and Makoto Wada, who was um, part of EAD as well. Now, I guess the question is, and the, the question that this interview talked about, was how did R&D 3 come up with a boxing game? Well, a couple of ways. First off, one thing that was going on at Nintendo at the time was Donkey Kong was going on, basically. And Donkey Kong was incredibly popular and selling incredibly well. So incredibly popular that Nintendo, in order to keep up with the demand for making arcade cabinets, kept buying televisions because they needed CRTs to go inside of these cabinets. So they were buying and buying televisions, but they were always necessarily shipping out the amount of televisions that they were buying. So they would keep buying televisions and they would keep selling Donkey Kong, but they often would have televisions left over. (laughs) So the televisions were not really being used and Nintendo had a problem. And that was they now had too many televisions, which when you're a company that's primarily business is not storing televisions. Having too many televisions is not a problem that your company needs to have. So R&D 3 was tasked with creating a new arcade game that could use two televisions because if you could use two televisions, they could get rid of a lot more televisions. Because two is greater than one. (laughs) That's right. Now, it is a a hard leap to go from requiring two television sets to a boxing game. And I know you're thinking that too. So other factors definitely did play into it. And another factor that was there was a new substrate available which allowed the ability to zoom in and out of the object on the screen. So they wanted to incorporate that along with these two televisions they wanted to add in for their arcade cabinets. But that still doesn't answer the question, why boxing? It's actually a a pretty long story in regards to why boxing. Takeda, the lead designer of Punch-Out, also was Nintendo's first game designer because he created a mechanical arcade game called EVR Race. It is a great name. Though it's funny because it it could have also just been called VHS Race, which would have been an interesting name in its own right. EVR Race was released back in 1975. Nintendo states that it is actually the first game title they ever released. They omit Laser Clay Shooting System, which could be accredited to them, but they take full credit for EVR Race as the first game title that they released. EVR Race was an exceptionally large cabinet that was designed for players either between 1 and 10. So you can have a cabinet that was not too large for one person, or you can have a gigantic cabinet for 10 people to play, and involves players predicting on which horse would win the race displayed on the screens. The machine used EVR, or electronic video recordings, which was an alternative format versus VHS. So, you know, during the VHS Betamax wars, there was more than just VHS and Betamax. There was also the format EVR which Nintendo used to make EVR race. Now, the players would bet on various horses or sometimes cars, and the footage would just play the race on the videotape, and they would win depending on how their horse or car did, and there would be different odds on it, and it was essentially just a horse betting game. There's very, very little information on EVR race out there that actually involves, like, people didn't really physically record people playing EVR race. just wasn't really a thing, at least that I could find in my dive into the the internet learning more about this game but i wonder if the race 
changed. I guess there would have to be some randomness associated with the game. Maybe the tape was long enough that it would do a different race and a different person would win. Because you're essentially just watching a playback video of a horse race and you would bet on it, which I think is is unique. It's kind of like watching one of your home videos and being like, yeah, mom's definitely going to fall down the stairs this time. Now, because the game used EVR technology, it was a mechanical game and it led to EVR race breaking down regularly and costing Nintendo a lot of money and expenses in repairing and maintaining these games. Because if the game is broken, they're going to get a service call to fix it. So 10 years or so in the future, when they're working on creating Punch-Out, and at that time that they were creating Punch-Out, laser discs were becoming popular. And people were claiming that laser disc games were going to be the next best thing. But Nintendo had flashbacks to EVR Race and said, hmm, no. Their thought was, if we make a Laserdisc machine and make an arcade cabinet that has a Laserdisc inside it, it's going to break. And we're going to have to go out and fix these Laserdisc machines because they're broken. We need to make it simpler so that it wouldn't break, saving us on money. So we need to create the arcade cabinet. Instead of using a Laserdisc machine, we need to create it with semiconductors. And now, not only have we done semiconductor machines before, we now have this substrate that allows the ability to zoom in and out of the game. Not only that, now we also have to incorporate these two television sets. So they originally actually set the game up so that they put this television set side by side and they were going to create a racing game. However, the hardware was not powerful enough to create a racing game and the substrate could only really enlarge one image. So if they were thinking okay, we can't enlarge like one image on a racing game is not really going to be useful. What if that image was one person? What type of thing do you fight one person boxing? I was going to guess fencing. Fencing. It could have been a fencing game, but they went boxing. Now, the game could actually be put onto one screen. And if you've played any of the Punch-Out! arcade video games, you know that the game can take place on the one screen. However, they thought arenas always have lights, banners, there's got to be scoring. We have to represent that. Why don't we stack the televisions on top of each other vertically instead of horizontally? And we can include the fighter information, kind of some like decorations and time. And we could put all of that stuff up on the second screen. So they did it. And the substrate allowed the fighter on the screen to get larger and smaller as they move about the ring, which is why it's done in that perspective. So you can see the fighter moving around and getting closer to you and getting farther away from you, which is the the technology that they incorporated. Some fun facts about Punch-Out, since we always like to include fun facts. In the audience itself, you can see Mario, Luigi, Donkey Kong, and Donkey Kong Jr. Additionally, the theme song in the arcade version of Super Punch-Out, which was the Punch-Out version that came out later that same year, but they called it Super Punch-Out and it was harder. The theme song on that one and also on the port to the NES is Gillette Look Sharp March, which as the name implies is a jingle for Gillette, the razor company. And the reason that 
it was the song that's played in Punch-Out is because the song was used as the theme song for the radio turn television program Gillette Cavalcade of Sports, which is where Gillette took all of their sponsored sports and put them as one show, essentially one program. You could go and you could see all the Gillette sports. It was just like a hodgepodge of sports, though. Primarily, though, it had boxing. So they had this theme song that they took from this show, which was originally an advertising jingle, which I think is fun. So fun that I think that you all need to know about another fun fact that household products get into our lives in insidious ways, including this way, the jingle represented in a punch-out video game. Also, in case you were ever wondering why soap operas are called soap operas, it's because companies like Tide produced them for the sole purpose of running commercials for detergents, which is just another way of how these big household companies weasel their way into our homes. That's right. Now, the gameplay. In the game, the player assumes the role of a green-haired boxer, uh, known by the initials that you choose when you begin the game. During the matches, the player's boxer is viewed behind, like, a wireframe, um, so the opponents can be seen through the player. I think that's actually really clever, as opposed to having a player model or sprite that would block the character, and they obviously put some thought into this. They designed this wireframe mesh that you could clearly see through when you're fighting. The player must time their dodge and blocks in order to defeat the opposing boxer. Hints are given as to the opponent's next move by subtle eye changes. The white of the eyes turn from white to yellow, but the player must ultimately predict what moves the opponent will make and react appropriately. The game has a joystick and three buttons. Two of those buttons control the left and right punches, one for each arm, and then a large button's on the console that allows the player to deliver a powerful uppercut or right hook. An only when the KO meter on the display is completely full can they deliver these powerful uppercuts or right hooks. This meter increases when the player successfully lands a punch and decreases when the opponent lands one and drops to zero when the player is knocked down. Once this meter is completely filled, the corner man's digitized speech encourages the player to either put him away or knock him out. Put him away! Knock him out! Punch-Out! was also released on the NES. In the game, you play as Little Mac, and Little Mac is working his way up through the World Video Boxing Association. Eventually, you must fight the champion boxer who, in the original release of Punch-Out! for the NES in North America, was Mike Tyson, because this is Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! Uh, however, eventually the license for Mike Tyson expired, so when Nintendo reissued the game in the 1990s, they had to replace him with the fictional Mr. Dream. I like to think that Mike Tyson nickname is Mr. Dream. That just, it makes him sound like a romantic character. Like He is a romantic character. On the NES, the game plays from a third person perspective, where you actually do see Little Mac. He's not um, a wireframe, and he's also very tiny. <laughs> like, little. He is Little Mac, but he is like, very Little Mac. <laughs> compared to some of the, the people you're fighting. And in a similar manner, you must, you know, throw your left and right jabs, body blows, uppercuts, while also dodging and defending yourself. Little Mac is given a life counter in the NES version. Once you reach zero, you are left unable to attack, but you can dodge, duck, and block. While you're unable to attack, your character will turn a shade of pink. You can gain life back by accurately avoiding punches, though you will lose all of your life points upon being knocked down, but you will regain some if you're able 
able to get back up. Now, about in Punch-Out is played and won in a few different ways. Uh, one is if the character is knocked out and unable to get back up within 10 seconds. The other is when a fighter is knocked down three times in one round. And lastly, the bout can end if it lasts three rounds with no clear winner. This last version is called winning by decision. Um, so basically, whoever scored pretty much the most points in this version uh, would be the winner. However, in Punch-Out for the NES, some of the opponents cannot be beaten by decision. Uh, you must knock them out or knock them down three times in one round. Now, in Punch-Out for the arcade, you have to fight Glass Joe, Piston Hurricane, Bald Bull, Kid Quick, Pizza Pasta, and Mr. Sandman. After beating Sandman, the cycle repeats. On each successive round, the opponents become harder and quicker. So there's no really like final boss to punch out for the arcade. You pretty much just repeat it and repeat it until you lose all your money because you've pumped all the quarters into the machine as it's gotten harder and harder. In the home console version, they've added a couple of different opponents. Uh, so you still have Glass Joe, but you also have Von Kaiser, Piston Honda, Don Flamenco, King Hippo, Great Tiger, Bald Bull's Back, you also have Soda Popinski, who in the original game was named Vodka Drunkinski. And uh, Mr. Sandman is back. And uh, a new character named Super Macho Man. And lastly, Mike Tyson. Or Mr. Dream, depending on the version you're playing. So if it's the 1987 version of the NES game, you fight Mike Tyson. If it's the 1990 version, you fight Mr. Dream. Now, how did this game do? Punch-Out did actually really well, amazingly well in every region it went, got into Japan, North America, and Europe. Game Machine in Japan ranked it the second top grossing upright cabinet in their April 1984 issue, right after TX1 by Tatsumi, which was a uh, successor to Pole Position 1 and 2, so a racing game. Racing games were really popular around this time, which is why Nintendo probably ultimately wanted to do a racing game when they were told that they needed to use two televisions and they were like we're gonna make a racing game and then they weren't able to so then they were like we're gonna make a boxing game so the japan release did well the north america market though was primed for punch out already uh various sports video games like the 1983 track and field game were performing well a boxing game was just what the american market needed 1984 was towards the end of the golden age of arcade video games games. So things were pretty much starting to look bad for a lot of arcade video games and coin-op services. It was so bad that I was reading an, an industry trade magazine for that year, uh, 1984, and the editor and publisher of the uh, magazine Play Meter talked about how the industry was doing really, really poorly. There was a big boom of arcade video games, and it just started to start to slide. However, Punch-Out! did well for that time. It was just doing very well. It was a really well-performing arcade cabinet. In fact, topped out arcade charts in July and December for replay, and the Play Meter, which was the magazine that I was reading, did a a chart tracking from August to November and overall Punch-Out performed the best. Uh, Spy Hunter by Bally Midway came in second overall 
And an interesting thing about PlayMeter is they actually have two different charts that they aggregate together. Uh, street locations of arcade video games and arcade locations of arcade video games. Arcade locations would be the arcades. Uh, so a location that you would go to where your sole purpose was to play video games. Street locations would be not arcades. So it would be an arcade location like the movie theater or somewhere where there may not be just a dedicated arcade space. Spy Hunter, a 1983 vehicular combat action game, performed better at the street locations and beat out Punch-Out. Whereas in arcade locations, Punch-Out reigned supreme. And Spy Hunter only came in third for arcade locations. Firefox, a shoot-em-up arcade game, came in second after Punch-Out. Firefox was uh, Atari's only Laserdisc video game that they've ever they ever made, which I thought was interesting. Now, I, I think it's interesting to think about Spy Hunter and Firefox, specifically more Spy Hunter, performing better on the street versus the arcade. Because I feel like it's a different demographic, or could be a different demographic, of who's going to an arcade and what games you're interested in playing versus if you're somewhere like a pizza restaurant and you're and you have like three different arcade games to choose from where you may actually end up choo- choosing like a a weirder looking video game I guess maybe if it has like a weird controller or something like that right, or it's like yeah. a driving game you may be more inclined to choose that game if you weren't specifically there to play video games though overall Punch-Out was very successful for Nintendo so successful in fact that it did spawn a number of re-releases and sequels Punch-Out did very well as Seth as Seth talked about um so there was a legacy to it uh, Super Punch-Out came out actually the same year as Punch-Out it has less boxers, but the boxers are tougher to fight. And a 1985 spinoff of Punch-Out came out called Arm Wrestling, which we actually already talked about back in episode 56, Wacky Cabinets. Now, in 1987, uh, they did license out Mike Tyson, his likeness, the boxer, to release the NES port of Punch-Out! the arcade game to the home console. This version was called Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! The game actually has three different versions that were released for the NES. The first version is called the Gold version, due to the fact that it is in a golden cartridge. Uh, And this version is just simply titled Punch-Out! It does not have Mike Tyson in it. Uh, This version was given away as a prize to those participating in the Famicom Golf US Course Tournament. In this version, the gold Punch-Out! version, Super Macho Man is the final opponent. Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! was released in 1987. Now, the deal with Mike Tyson I actually find very interesting. It was struck by Minoru Arakawa, who is Nintendo of America's founder and then president, when he was attending a boxing match featuring Mike Tyson. Arakawa was so impressed by Mike Tyson's skills that he actually reached out and was able to strike a deal to allow the likeness of the boxer to be used in the game. Uh, There's a rumor floating around, but it's never been confirmed that Tyson's likeness cost Nintendo $50,000 for a three-year period. The deal is actually kind of risky for Nintendo to take. While Mike Tyson was a well-known boxer, he was certainly not a champion at the time. However, before the game was released in 1986, Mike Tyson would go on to win the World Boxing Council Heavyweight Championship and take the championship from Trevor Burbick, who at the time was the champion. So Mike Tyson now was a pretty big name in boxing. 
because he was now the world champion. So Nintendo might have struck gold, and it certainly did help the sales of the game to have Mike Tyson's name slapped on it. In 1990, the deal with Tyson had lapsed, and Nintendo did not look to renew the deal. Uh, the last version of Punch-Out! was simply titled Punch-Out! released on the NES. And this version was released in the 1990s, specifically in 1990 and re-released in 1991. And what had happened was that the deal with Tyson had ended and Nintendo wanted to re-release the game. And so they took Mike out of the game and re essentially re-released the game just as plain old punch out this version replaces mike tyson with mr dream uh, this version a lot of people might be familiar with because it's actually the version available on the nintendo virtual console the gamecube version of animal crossing on the nes classic edition and on the nintendo switch online service so if you need to find a version of punch out to play it's going to be the 1990 release without mike tyson in 1994 they released super punch out which is not related to Super Punch-Out! the arcade game released back in the 80s. Super Punch-Out! the 1994 game is the Super Nintendo follow-up to Punch-Out! the NES game. Uh, in 2009, there was also just Punch-Out! released for the Wii. And finally, on March 30th, 2018, they re-released Punch-Out! and Super Punch-Out! on the Nintendo Switch's online service for playing both NES and SNES games. So you have to subscribe to them but you can play the original Punch-Out for the NES and Super Punch-Out on your Nintendo Switch now. Before we close out Punch-Out, I do want to talk about a bit of, not necessarily lost media, but a bit of odd media. So Seth, there was a lost sequel to Punch-Out. Were you aware? Mm, I was not. So... This game did not come out under the name of Punch-Out 2. It actually did come out under the name of Power Punch 2, despite the fact there is no Power Punch 1, which is odd. However, Power Punch 2 was originally going to be a game titled Mike Tyson's Intergalactic Power Punch. And in this game, Mike Tyson would have gone and fought aliens. At some point during development, Beam Software, which was the company that was being tasked with developing this title by Nintendo, opted to remove Mike Tyson completely from the game. Uh, there is no really given reason for why this happened. Potentially, it was because of the legal troubles that Tyson was going through in the 90s um, due to some allegations and eventual convictions. The game was eventually released as Power Punch 2, and it removed all references to Mike Tyson and included a guy named Mark Tyler, who, uh, you know, that's kind of close. You know, MT. Though after the game was completed, Beam Software ended up disowning the project completely. The game ended up having to be published by a different company, American Softworks, under the supervision of Nintendo. And Nintendo also kind of, I think, also disowned this game because they don't consider it part of their Punch-Out! lineage. Beam would later use the engine they created to make George Foreman's KO Boxing and release that in 1992, the same year as Power Punch 2. And... I played George Foreman's KO Boxing recently. It is bad. I would recommend you play Punch-Out if you're looking to play a boxing game. Yes. However, if you are interested in playing Power Punch 2, you do not need to go hunt down a Nintendo copy uh, because it is on Steam right now for $5 because it's being distributed by Pico Interactive, who are a great little team of people who distribute games that I think everyone forgot about. But Pico makes sure you remember them. And that's going to be our, uh, our Boxing Day episode for... Happy Boxing Day and Merry Christmas. Happy Boxing Day 
one and all. Yes. Happy, Merry Christmas too for those who celebrate Christmas too. Merry day is it Sunday? Merry almost first, going back to work day. First day of Kwanzaa. Well, the first day of Kwanzaa. Happy to all those holidays. Yeah. Now, Seth, you ready to get into the byway pass? I am ready to get into the byway pass. All right, Seth, for your game, this game is a game where you're going to experience nature in a way that I think few people have. Uh, It's a game where you are going to uh, learn vital lessons, including fulfilling a request from your late grandfather. Uh, This game is Mike Goes on a Hike. Oh, (laughs) we're going to take a quick break while I look this game up. All right, I think we're back. So in Mike Goes on a Hike, you um, become a real tourist, and you take in the landscapes, as Zach described earlier. Its release date is the fourth quarter of 2021, which it should be out by the time this episode comes out assuming one would hope i i don't i would hope i, I will say one of the games i was gonna buy weight past for you uh, it's estimated release date it's not out yet but it said it's due out 2019 oh who knows so it's being developed by electro stalin entertainment and i really hope that's how that you say their name electro stalin this game if i played it i some people may enjoy relaxing video games where you take hikes into the woods i I have severe attention issues and will probably play this game, enjoy the scenery for five minutes, and then decide it's time to do something else. And that's just me being very honest. So I'm going to put this down as a pass, as I feel like ultimately I would buy it and then I would not enjoy the beautiful scenery and I would just ultimately put this in my catalog of unplayed games, which I have. So anyway, I'll put that down as a pass. Are you ready for your... Byway Pass, Zach. Yes, Seth. In this game, first-person shooter, where you play as a desperado and you take on twisted demons in a desolate mining town. Ooh. Hell is empty because all the devils are here. (laughs) You have to uh, plan your steps, be stealthy, gain advantage, and manage your resources while painting the world dark red in demon's blood. What's this game? Blood West. Blood West. We're going to take a short break while Zach looks up the game. And we're back. So uh, Blood West, as Seth described, is a a Wild West first-person shooter where you fight monsters. It's being developed by Hyper Strange, and it's due out, in their words, soon. Wishlist now. That is the date they have. Now, it looks very cool. I I do like a lot of the aesthetic that it's going for. It kind of gives me a, like, slightly cleaner version of, like, what Dusk offers, where Dusk is very much like a Quake-style game. This looks like if Dusk was made in, like, like, Source Engine, maybe. Be like like slightly updated graphics sort of deal i love dusk i love uh, uh this also looks like it takes a lot of inspiration from games like blood and even uh classic quake um, both games that i i love so i certainly am curious about it i want to say i want to buy it but there is a demo available so i want to say i'm going to wait on it because i'm going to play the demo and if i like it i'll change to a buy 
If I don't like it, I'll keep it as a, a wait or a pass. But I'm going to try the demo first, and I'm going to say a wait for now until I finish the demo. And who knows, maybe I will update us in the next episode about my thoughts when I've been recently playing this game. That's going to be our Boxing Day episode, and we will be coming at you in the new year. Uh, we did talk about it at any point in time. We'll talk about it in the next episode. But we actually did hit our 100th and 4th episode, which would be two years of classic gaming brothers wow so we are moving into year three of classic gaming brothers and we're going to we have a special episode ahead for beginning of 2022 that you will not want to miss anyway if you ever have any complaints or comments about the show you can always email us at classic gaming brothers at gmail.com you can also follow us on all of our socials which are facebook instagram and twitch are all at classic gaming brothers our twitter is cg brothers pod give us a follow on our socials you can message us there too you can message us anywhere we're we're good we will respond and we we love to hear from all of our fans and if you want to support the podcast keep listening to episodes day in and day out and give us a review where you can uh, you can review us on the itunes platform you can also like and review us on um, all, all the various uh, podcasting agents as well and with that is there anything else don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brother i've been zach i've been seth and we've been the classic gaming brothers that's right i always thought you had a beard like seaweed, long and wet. Not since I got acquainted with these blue blades by Gillette. I've outlawed whiskers in my court. Behold, my crew shaved slick. No other blade can whisk them off. So extra smooth and quick. Ooh, look sharp. Every time you shave, you feel sharp. And be on the ball. Just be sharp. Use Gillette's blue blades for the quickest, slickest shaves. Ah,